terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Well, talk continues on about the Oakland A's relocating here to Las Vegas. We've touched a lot about this story over, well, really for the last year or so. But as we know, it's gained a lot of steam. And, of course, the A's made the official announcement coming back a couple weeks ago. But, you know, the deal has changed a little bit now. As we know that the A's were asking for financing in the neighborhood of about $500 million. They have now lowered that asking price down to $395 million. And it could be even going lower and lower. Why? Well, because there is some hesitancy from taxpayers and others. And then considering what this franchise has been like, not only from an operational standpoint, but what it's been like from a plane side. Well, in recent days, also, the city of Oakland is back in the game trying to make another pitch to keep the team in Oakland. But the question here, who really wants this team? All right, They are fresh off their sweep of the world champion Houston Astros. I should say by the world champion Houston Astros. The A's record right now, 10-39. and 39. On their way to the worst record in the history of American League Baseball. That is 147 years. Nick Nice, I hope you're a better mathematician than Numchuck. 147 years. Since when has this been the worst record? Apparently. Do the math. Forever, I guess. I don't know. How about 1896? Does that sound about right? Oh, 1876. I'm just thinking this really reminds me of uh, Major League, where the owner really tries to tank it and become the worst ever. or Not the worst ever, but, you know, just worse. Yeah. Uh, no team has been worse than this rendition of the athletics. Their win percentage right now at 10 39, if you do the math? No, 204. 204. All right. Just over 20%. 204. That is a horrendous batting average. I grew up loving this te- uh, this team. I you, know. You know that. I still have my 1989 complete team set. And I there was probably one of the no bigger fan than the A's as, as I was as a kid. That's why I'm glad that you are with me today to talk about this. Because as you know, Northern California native, I would go back and forth to Giants games, to A's games back in the day. Yep. And I loved going to watch the A's. Yeah, we okay? take the BART from Fremont, get right there off at the Coliseum, mm-hmm. and uh, there you go. But um, no, I'm so I'm I don't want the A's here as much as I love. Well, I don't love the organization anymore. I don't follow baseball like I used to. I gave that up a while ago. But I still love I, – if I liked – I like the A's. I would root for the A's, yes, if I was going to watch baseball. But that being said, uh, the city of Oakland, the fans, they, they need them. They want them. Right. Okay? They, they might not have been showing up or whatever like that, but, you know, the – it's just atrocious. The stadium, all that. You know, the stadium needs to be redone. I'm sure if you got a waterfront stadium, you would get people to go out there. Sure. Uh, it's you know, I hate to say it because I watched candlestick candlestick get torn down, but for the thought, so the thought of uh, the Coliseum and uh, where the Warriors used to play right next door. Right. You know, the thought of that whole site being demolished is pretty sad. But 
it's 70 plus years old or something like that. At I least. Mean, it, no, so, it is. And look so, what, what it's done for the Giants. Okay, look what it's done for yeah, them. Yeah, when they moved to what? Was originally Pac Bell? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, people loved going to the Giants. Yeah. yeah. People love going to the Giants. And, so and that location it, it, it's, is great. It's just, it's time that they get a new park and they need to stay in Oakland. Mm. They lost the Warriors. They lost the Raiders mm. twice. <laughs> uh, so that's, that city has been done over. And, and I'm not saying the city, the, the government. I'm talking about the people, the real people who work for the, to the city, the organization, uh, the people, the fans who've been showing up for decades and stuff like that, the family, the tradition that's been passed on from, you know, uh, so anyway, I, I just and another the t- taxpayer aspect of it. I don't want them here. Yeah. I don't I don't take my money. We've already paid for the Raiders. We have all this cannabis money, and my my kids, my three boys, uh, my second one or my third one now is becoming a freshman. And let me tell you, the schools are atrocious as far as the funding. So, like, we have all this money apparently from cannabis and, and sports, but we can't give it to the kids. So we're going to give more money to another professional organization, and then that leaves out the aviators. So don't get me started on that. Like, no one's going to then go to the aviator games anymore, or they're going to have to start br- bringing their prices down to nothing, which isn't a bad thing but we already have baseball mm-hmm. i'm done shout out to you with your aviators hat today yeah i like that. they're real and your top gun dad there you go thank you, you covered both those in that and that's uh that rant i love it so to put this in perspective where the a's are now and i agree with everything you said it, you know i feel bad for the 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 people in oakland i really do again to get gutted again really for the fourth time twice with the raiders with the warriors the raiders moving to san francisco dirty. sorry and, raiders they did them dirty and remember the warriors situation they're in san francisco yeah, that's and people dirty are like too. well you're you're right next door but the the people in oakland or alameda county they really don't go there no. and, and they're outpriced no and the people who to works, go to those games people who work there uh i mean do they go across the bay now to go and that's much harder on them taking what the bart or whatever it may be so go across the bay bridge yeah, right I, yeah. I, you know i don't know i just yeah well this you know to put this in perspective of where the A's are at from a win percentage, and I mentioned 10 and 39, worse only to the 1890 Pittsburgh Alleghenies. Wow, my grandfather was born in 1885. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Alleghenies in 1890, you know what their record was? Uh, at this moment or the whole entire season? The entire season. Now, they didn't play 162 I'm going to say back they, they, won, they won 10 games. 23 and 113. 23 and 113. Holy moly. And then, just uh, not as bad as the... All-time worst, 1899 Cleveland Spiders. I'm going to put you on the spot. When was that scandal, the Black Sox scandal? When was that? Uh, 1919. 1919. Yeah. So do you think back then they were cheating and just giving up the game so they could bet on themselves and lose? Possibly that, or again, tanking for other purposes to get the team sold. And moved. And and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah, the Cleveland Spiders were 20 and 134. Cleveland Spiders. Why would it be Spiders in I, Cleveland? I have no idea. That's just stupid. You like the Browns? You like the Indians? Well, the Browns are something because like it's, it's actually named after the family. Yeah, that's true. The Guardians is... Yeah. Well, that's the history of that bridge thingy, but that's stupid right. anyway. So here's the thing. This once proud franchise that won championships... You mentioned 1989. I go back to 1972, 1973, what, 1974. Like Raleigh Fingers yeah, and all those Absolutely. The, the Charlie Finley days, right? Four championships, six World Series appearances well, yeah. going back in those days. Yeah. The green and gold, which they were known by, yeah. known for their competitive teams, well, basically until last year. Now, John Fisher, who is the owner, doesn't really care about winning. He wants a new shiny ballpark, and until then... I don't think he cares about putting a solid product on the field. That is very evident from what we are seeing with these A's, this version. They're comprised of minor leaguers. They're comprised of not only Las Vegas aviators, but even, you know, below the AAA uh, aviators. They're in the, the veterans they have basically are major league utility players. Guys like Tony Kemp, 
who I kind of feel sorry for. Here's a guy like Tony Kemp. I'm stuck in Oakland, who used to be with the Houston Astros before the Astros got good. And then Tony Kemp played with all of those guys with Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, and he gets shipped off, and he goes to the A's, and now he gets to get beat up year after year wow. by the Astros in his own division. That's fun. And, you know, again, I mean, look at the veterans that the A's have. They're, they're just washed-up guys that are, you know, will play for maybe, you know, the veterans minimum. But the A's right now, they are known for the movie Moneyball and grooming players for other teams. That's what I was going to say. Uh, is that still the same owner from Moneyball? Or when Moneyball was um, portrayed, uh, well, different owner right now. Different owner different now. Different owner now, but, but 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 same mindset right now. Yeah. And you know when you look at Slumlord, what they're known for is you know building up their team, building their own stars, only to trade them away. And in recent years, listen who they have traded away. All right, Marcus Simeon, who's now with the Texas Rangers, having a fantastic season. Chris Bassett over with the Toronto Blue Jays. Matt Olson, who is now. With the Atlanta Braves, uh, you go to the past. A lot of player uh, people don't remember this, but remember they traded Ricky Henderson. Oh. They traded Jose Canseco. They traded Mark McGuire, Dennis Eckersley. Oh. Go back into a little bit more recent times, but still back in the day. My mom, Tim, my, Tim Hudson. My mom had used a big crush on Dennis Eckersley. Uh, of course, she loved the stash. We well, we had a friend who had uh, seats. Uh, was called uh, season tickets. Yeah, and they were right there by the A's bullpen. Oh. So we got to watch the A's bullpen for years. She was flirting was, with number forty three. It could have been my stepdad. <laughs> Maybe he is. Never know. <laughs> Give me that money. <laughs> anyway, Tim Hudson. Yes, that's see, that's going back to my days. You know what I mean? Mark Mulder. Oh. How about that? Let me throw some out. Barry Zito. Oh, we used they to have traded a pitching all these staff. Guys. We used to have a staff. Big, big staff. Holy right? crap. And then position players. A guy that I know that used to like. Eric Chavez. Remember him? I used to have his cell phone number back when I was a producer. <laughs> Seriously, I did. I was like, that was one of the coolest highlights of early, my early career. Yeah. Matt Holliday. Jason Giambi. Josh Donaldson. Should I keep going? It makes me sick. Miguel Tejada. Fantastic. Okay. Jed Lowry. Matt Chapman in recent years. Chris Davis, power hitting outfielder. Josh Riddick. Sean Murphy. And here's one for you. A lot of people don't realize. Who's the lead Major League Baseball right now, at least in the National League in home runs? I don't know. A guy by the name of Max Muncy with the Dodgers. Oh, okay. He was an A. Yeah. He was an A. And I'm you sure. let him go and look, look at the, career, uh, the season he's having right now for the Dodgers. This is the A's. We- this is the version that... You will probably get here in Las Vegas in 2027. Over the years, they're only concerned about dumping salaries and trading to get younger players or veterans that weren't making very much money. They're like the Walmart of baseball. <laughs> it's just as cheap as possible. Everything is cheap as possible. Just, and the just make as much profit as possible. And the attendance. Okay. This year, we talked about it last Tuesday, I think it was, the lowest attendance since 1979 2,064 went to a baseball game in that Coliseum to see the A's take on the Diamondbacks. 2,064 people. Yeah. The highest attendance they've had at a game so far this year, 13,000. I bet That's there's it. I bet there's about 2,000 people that work there for the game on a game day. <laughs> right. So what's worse? Let me ask you this. Okay, You're a longtime A's fan. What's worse? This current team? The ballpark they currently play in? The organization? Or the mascot? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't touch the mascot. They touch just, the mascot? No. I don't even know They're what the mascot elephant. is. They're an elephant. Oh, well, that, if that hasn't changed, then you, no. You know they've been an elephant forever. Yeah. Now, the, now the current, okay. the thought, current elephant think... is named Stomper. Okay? Uh-huh. They got rid of him. But back in your day, 
It was uh, Harry Helafonte. Helafonte. <laughs> well, Elefante. That's funny. There you go for the uh, uh, Harry Helafonte. You know, I don't understand why it's a it's an elephant, but I, I like elephants, so I know I think that's perfectly fine. I'll give you the reason for that. Okay. Okay. You know, you go going back, back to like Philadelphia your, days. or there something. There you go, Philadelphia days. There was a, a a New York the New York manager, the New York Giants manager back in the day said, "Well, you know, these guys are like a white elephant." All right. So. And go, hey, we like that. We're, you know, well, we can't call ourselves the elephants. We call ourselves the ace. So that's when they started wearing the patch and on the jersey as the elephant. And then when Charlie Finley got it, it, you know, they dropped the white part and said elephant because, you know, Charlie Finley, I guess, was a Republican, mm. right? Or went to that and they went to the Democratic thing and it had something to do with all this elephant stuff with it was a political thing, which I, yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. understand. But, but anyway, but yeah, there's still an elephant, but that not a, not a great uh, mascot. But well, especially ace- if your name is athletic. You're supposed to be athletic, and I, I don't really think of uh, an elephant as yeah. athletic. But right. um, no, I would blame management or not management ownership. Ultimately, it starts with ownership. We've seen that with every organization. Mm-hmm. If you have a terrible owner who doesn't care about a lot of stuff, he probably uh, he just sounds like he cares about the bottom line, money. That's yeah. it. And he's not making any right now, and that's why he wants to move to Vegas because he saw what Mark Davis has done. Hey, this is a way yeah, exactly. that we can make money, but they're not going to make money. They're not going to get uh, people here to sell a thirty thousand seat ballpark if they don't improve the product, spend money on Fradens, keep your own players that you have done so well in grooming from the minors, keep them here. But that is the story of the Oakland A's. And does Las Vegas really want them? That's the question. Uh, that's supposed to be a record yeah, scratch. Yeah. I don't have it available. So. Yeah, okay. You want to do that one more time? That was pathetic. <laughs> NBA playoffs. Goodbye to the Lakers. Bye-bye. Yes, swept, swept by Denver. Sweep, sweep. Um, I did say it was going to go either four or five games, so uh, I'm feeling pretty good. And from a betting standpoint, feeling pretty good as well, too. But here's the best part, Nick. Finally, no more LeBron. I don't need to see LeBron anymore. Uh, no more flopping. No more crying. No more complaining over every call. All right, no going back to the huddle with your head down. Yes, after last night's elimination by the Denver Nuggets, what does LeBron do after he put up a four-foot shot that went two and a half feet no good? Ran to the locker room. Uh, Ran to the locker room awesome. on his home floor. That was awesome. Not, not his visiting floor, but his home floor. Who knows? Possibly that could be. Not saying for sure, but he kind of hinted around afterwards. Maybe that's the last time that those Laker fans saw LeBron James. I doubt it. I, don't, I think he'll come around, but you know, just to sprint off like that. Heck, you were coming down. You were down three nothing. You were number seven seed. Your life and death to get into this play-in tournament. You were a thirteen seed at one point in time. Crawled in as a ten. Moved up to a seven. You know, you had a run, and that was it. He had no shot beating the Denver Nuggets. Good night, Lakers. Good night, LeBron. Enough already, all right? So last night he goes to the press conference. He's not giving the media very much as he tends has a tendency to do after losses. And he kept saying this, too. He kept saying, well, you know, uh, somebody asked about Carmelo Anthony. He goes, yeah, you, uh, yeah, I knew it was coming because, you know, uh, I shot the video of uh, his uh, goodbye speech. That was last week. But... Uh, you guys will probably think that I'm lying about that, too. And then later, he said something else. He goes, well, you probably think I'm lying about that, too. I have never never seen a guy who thinks he's the greatest of all time that continues to be a martyr and continues to play down all this other nonsense and throw these temper tantrums. I mean, even Michael Jordan, I mean, he was a piece of work, but he was never like that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, absolutely never like that. Wilt Chamberlain, never like that. But... 
LeBron James nonstop. We've seen this for 20 plus years. And people have put up with it. They've accepted this. And then, you know, thinking that, that he's the greatest. So I've had enough of LeBron. Hopefully we don't have to see anymore. If he wants to hint about retiring, go retire. Please. It'll be for the betterment of the NBA because the version that we saw of LeBron James was not good during the playoffs, especially in this series. All right, trying trying to go showtime dunk and can't even uh, complete this and kicks the ball out of bounds, getting his pocket picked, you know, a couple times each game. No, you know, forcing up threes, shooting a low percentage. Don't know if if he's going to hit more than one free throw every trip to the free throw line. No. Goodbye, LeBron. Goodbye, Lakers. I don't care what they do with the franchise. Rebuild, retool, whatever you got to do. But just, I don't want to hear about him anymore. We've got... Two teams are getting ready to face off in the finals. All right, one team is already in the Denver Nuggets. I can hardly wait to see them. I believe it's their year. They're the number one seed in the West. But let the Nuggets shine and not LeBron James. So uh, I grew up with Michael Jordan, of course, and I consider him to be the GOAT. I am a casual basketball fan, and so I'm not a LeBron like personal hater, but uh, I definitely don't like him just because you know he's not the goat in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And looking this up, uh, Jordan's been swept out of the playoffs twice, mm-hmm. and it was in the uh, first round. Mm-hmm. Now he's been now LeBron James has been swept in the conference finals once and the NBA finals twice, mm-hmm. uh, and you know I just think that adds to the further fire for Jordan people like me that he is not the goat. And a goat would have never been swept in the conference finals. Well, what you, the difference between Michael Jordan and, or and LeBron James, it, are, there are so many things. But you know, you don't like cringe when LeBron James is gonna, uh, you know, when Michael Jordan was gonna take a three. You're not gonna cringe when Michael Jordan goes to the free throw line. All right, and sure, Michael Jordan was harsh maybe behind the scenes, which some people saw in the documentary with the Last Dance, but. He wasn't, you know, throwing these temper tantrums all the time and have his um, emotions on these bad nights to, you know, overtake and continually berating officials, you know? And again, when you're a superstar of that stature, you have to be held to a higher standard. And I think MJ did that. I mean, the guys that I mentioned before, especially like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, guys that need to be mentioned, you know, as the greatest of all time, along with Wilt Chamberlain and, and people of that nature. You, you, you didn't see this. You know, you didn't see the LeBron James temper tantrums with these guys throwing their teammates under the bus, you know, berating officials nonstop. So that's the part that really sickens me and flopping on the floor and complaining for every call. A, a goat does not need to do that. A yeah. goat doesn't do that in any sport. And the fact that we're never going to say, oh, he's the James of your sport, or you're the James of being a dentist. No, you're the, yeah. the Michael Jordan of your dentistry, or you're right. the Michael Jordan of, of <laughs> making shoes. You know, right. you're, no one's ever going to say that about James. Right. So, and no one really ever says about anybody else because Jordan has really been the, the standard for as long as we all been alive. Well, at least most of us. Mm-hmm. All right. Another thing that's irritating me about the NBA yes. is the sponsorship patches. Have you got a load of the sponsorship patches? No, I guess I've been paying that. Okay, close that's attention. okay. Well, it's it's hard to miss when you when you're watching games and you see the close up and this and that. And another money generating thing that that came into play in 2018, and more and more teams are now uh, have the sponsorship package. 26 teams actually have a little sponsor, a little two inch logo on there, right? Uh, here's where I get a little confused, and I'm not sure how well this marketing is working. 
So I'd like to play a game with you, Nick Nice. Okay. I'd like to give you a couple, uh, some of these teams, and I would like you to tell me if you have ever heard of this company that is sponsoring them and paying a boatload of money to sponsor. And if you'd like to look them up, then feel free to look them up. We'll start with the Miami Heat, who look like well, they're one victory away from going to the NBA Finals, right? UKG. Do you know uh, what UKG is? It's a payroll service, I believe. You you do know that? Yes. Yeah. It's like a time clock company or something. Yeah. Now, how did you know that? Because you clocked in and out a lot. Uh, no. Actually, the last job I had, uh, they used the UK, UKG stuff. So, really? Yeah. Okay. But do you think the, the average fan knows what UKG means? I don't really think They're it... They're just three, three letters that yeah, are I, on the jersey. I don't really think it matters to the average fan because the average fan like me isn't going to be like, oh, I need to go buy some UGK or something like that. Oh, that that's That would be more advertising for... Uh, businesses and that's my point. Like, who are they really connecting with? Well, I mean, businesses, the higher ups watch the NBA, yeah. so <laughs> you never know. The whole idea of marketing to an audience is it, the mass appeal, exactly. Yeah. The mass appeal, no, of course, of, I get, I guess, of the audience. I, I, okay, I totally understand that. Boston Celtics, Vista Print. Okay, we've heard of Vista Print. That's the we business understand. cards, right? The business cards, they do printing. Okay, it's okay. Denver, Western Union. Okay, we all know that. We, we get that. Everybody uses, uses Western Union. The Lakers. I'm not even sure how to pronounce this. Oh, B i b i g o, Bibigo. B i b i. That was the song. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Bibigo. Bibigo. No, def- you Bibigo I, guy? I, I don't know that one. Okay, you ready for it? Yes. It's a Korean frozen meal well, manufacturer. I mean, Southern California. <laughs> there is a <laughs> don't lot. Don't you try of- to uh, make make a good of this? What? Nobody knows this. Korean frozen meals. Asians do. <laughs> You're not Asian, I'm sure, the last time you looked in the mirror, either. <laughs> well, you didn't even know who Bibigo is, and you're part Asian. <laughs> well, I'm not Korean, so I'll give, the, give the, me that one. That, that is true. Golden State, Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Rakuten? Rakuten? I think I've Rakuten. seen that around somewhere. but Well, you, of course you've seen it on Steph Curry's jersey. That's where you've seen it. Oh, well, <laughs> anyway. No, I, I thought maybe I've seen it somewhere Look it up. Else. I have no idea what it is. Rock, Rakuten? Yeah. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. That's the Warriors. All right. Cleveland has got... Oh, it's a financial technical company. Yeah, there you go. That's that, There's my point. Yeah. A financial technical company. What kind of marketing is it? Is Japanese that technological conglomerate based in Tokyo. Oh, my people. Cleveland Cliffs. What is that? The Cleveland Cliffs. C-L-I-F-F-S. I, I, I'm, I'm curious. What, what, what does that mean? But that is on the Cavalier uniforms. Cleveland Cliffs. What, who, who are they... Who are they trying to market to with that? What do you got? Uh, formerly Cliffs Natural Resources is a Cleveland, Ohio-based company that specializes in the mining benefication. Yeah, there you go. There it is. That's a new word. Well, on I get you know th- these companies have money, all right, but it's not like they what, what do you, what do you iron mar- ore. What are you marketing for? You know. Well, well, what, what do you, I mean, well, when you're you, asking what, people to do what? So their their revenue is twenty three billion dollars. Right. I, I think them. So there thinking it is. Like, it's a toss. Hey, you know, yeah. hey, we just throw a couple thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands on some ma- uh, marketing. It can't hurt, right? So, in I mean, other words, you're getting to my point now. It's like they're just throwing money away. They don't care about the marketing. Well, I, I go, Western I, Union, I get it. Do you Part remember, of their marketing budget. Okay. Do you remember that movie uh, with Matthew Broadwick and uh, I forget? It's the one where she, uh, Reese Witherspoon, Election. Oh, election. And, and she tells him, she goes, you know, Coca-Cola is the number one soft drink, but they spend the most money on advertising and stuff like that. So, you know, even if you are a, a no name, you yeah. want to advertise because, you know, we're dumb Americans and we get we forget stuff real fast. Oh, yeah. We're, we're going to sit there and remember what Cleveland Cliffs are all about. That's well, it. I mean, we're talking yeah. about them. Yeah. yeah. We, we are because making fun of them. Yeah. That's it. How about this one? The L.A. Clippers. Okay. Honey. 
Honey. Honey. Uh, I'm guessing honey. I, I'm guessing too, but maybe is it an acronym for something else? LA it just says honey on there. H O N E Y. Honey. Honeywell? Another tech corporation? What is uh, it? I guess it's their training center. The, their training center. Honey. Is that what it says? No. Yeah. Honey Training Center. Honey Training Center. Okay, but Honey put the, the naming rights on it. So what company is Honey? What do they manufacture? What do they promote? What do they make? What do they do? I, I, I don't know. Thank Maybe you very much. a person. All right, let's go to this one. The New Orleans Pelicans. Ibotta. I-B-O-T-T-A. Oh, well, now I was trying to read. That's a, Honey that, Patch Sponsorship. Yeah. All right, well, I'll read that during the break. That, that's okay. What was the last one you uh, just gave me? I-B-O-T-T-A. I-B-O-T-T-A. No, I-B-O-T-T-A. That's the Pelicans. I have no idea what that is. It's an American mobile technology company based in Denver, Colorado, that provides uh, cashback rebates for users for shopping at stores. Whoa, that's exciting. <laughs> but they're based in Denver. And they're they don't spot- The Pelicans. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, how about this? Speaking yes. of that, the Philadelphia 76ers, crypto.com. Oh, well, that's easy. That's crypto. Well, I understand. Crypt, cryptid, uh, why, why isn't the Lakers sponsor? Instead yeah. of Bibigo, why wouldn't the Lakers have that since the arena is called the Crypto.com Arena? Yeah, makes no sense, but... <laughs> the Sixers moved to L.A.? What's going on? I, I don't know. Uh, the only thing I can say is it always comes down to money. Sacramento, dill pad, or I'm sorry, dill pad. Dill pad. <laughs> dial pad. Dial pad. Yeah, dial pad. <laughs> dial pad for Sacramento, and then this one... Well, they're based out of San Francisco, yeah, so... Yeah, and they're... Sponsoring the Kings, dial pad. It's an AI-powered calling message meeting sales yeah. customer support. Yeah, everyone knows about that one. And finally, Brooklyn, Weeble. That sounds familiar. Weeble. Is it W-E-I-B-O-L? No, it's W-E-Bull. Weeble. Oh, W-E? Bull. Bull. Yeah, Weeble. I have not a Weeble, but a oh, Weeble. Forgot the... Uh, <laughs> Huh. It is a holding company incorporated in the Cayman Islands. Oh, so you know that sounds uh, on the up and up. <laughs> is there any more integrity for any rhyme or reason? I mean, how does these how do these sponsorships help the company? So now here's the big question. Yes. What do you think these companies are paying for their patch on the jersey to be seen via television so, for how many games that they're on TV a year does the nba set the standard for pricing or does each team say i'll you i can charge this all of these are pretty much right in that ballpark figure of 20 million a season 20 million a season 20 million a season yeah well i mean when your company well this one doesn't say but uh, that one company was worth Listen, 23 billion when are we going to see tampax or vagisil when are we going to see that i uh, I, I we gonna know. see any of those? I don't know what to say on that. What about one. hymns? Viagra? Is that your thing? I don't. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. Well, you know, I had to say real quick. Seriously, we're... Uh, look at NASCAR. You know, you, you see NASCAR, and those those cars are stickered everywhere as far yeah. as sponsorship goes. So yeah. it only makes sense that eventually sales is going to be like, hey, there's more real estate to sell on the jerseys of the athletes. Do Do you mind seeing it in Major League Baseball parks? Do you mind? Do you, do you you know on jerseys now? Well, it like looks everywhere it looks else. trashy and on the floors of some of these. I arenas? personally would think it's trash. In my yeah. opinion, I wouldn't want that oh. on my my Forty ers uniform. Yeah. Heck no, I know it's like putting a sticker on my car. I don't put stickers on my car, yeah. so that that's... and you and you drive pretty fast too. 
I got here faster than you did. You sure did. All thank right. you, thank you, Vegas drivers. <laughs> All right. Any uh, terrible Tuesday takes? You can hit me on Twitter at TC Martin twenty one. All right. We go to the top of the hour. So uh, there we go, Nick Nice. Hit me with a jam. Hit me with a jam, Nick Nice. Let's get it cracking here on this terrible Tuesday. We come back. Sam Gordon is going to join us. We'll talk to Sam regarding the fight, Haney and Lomachenko, the controversy that we've talked a lot about yesterday and then, of course, last week uh, as well, too. <laughs> Chuck Espinosa will join us. Whatever it takes, man. Whatever. It's it's terrible Tuesday for you as well, too. Everybody. Everybody now. It's we very con- terrible. We continue on here. Hour number two on an abbreviated TC Martin show. The entertainment capital of the world. Thompson tries to answer and does. Clay Thompson with back to back threes. It's the TC Martin Show. Three. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Wiggins, a three-pointer, puts it in. A 50-point lead with 143 to play. The Warriors are ready to celebrate. The Dr. T.C. Martin launches. The Warriors are NBA champions again. The fourth title in eight years. The Dubs dynasty is still very much alive. Here's the man. T.C. Martin. Doctor is now in. Hour number two on this terrible Tuesday. Very terrible for the Los Angeles Lakers, and it could be terrible for the Boston Celtics tonight. Will the trend continue with the brooms out? Sweep variety. We will talk about that this hour. Also, we'll go to Sportsbook, our good friend over at Red Rock, Chuck Esposito. He will join us. And uh, we get uh, some more thoughts regarding the A's move to Las Vegas and also Haney and Lomachenko, the fight that we saw on Saturday night, still under a little bit of controversy. We'll finally put a bow on that. We've had a lot of great conversations yesterday with Showtime Sean Porter. Appreciate him for joining us, as well as Teddy Atlas. And then, of course, last week, uh, Stitch Duran joined us, Timothy Bradley, Al Bernstein. But we put a bow on it with our next guest, who does a fantastic job and he's a, a big, you know, boxing aficionado. That's why I love talking with him about everything from, from hoops to basketball to football. I mean, you name it. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Sammy the Bull, as Brian Salmon calls you, which I really like. I don't know where he came up with that, but I kind of like Sammy the Bull. Appreciate it, TC. Happy Tuesday. How you doing today? I'm good, brother. How about yourself? Hey, I'm taking it easy one day at a time. One day at a time. I like that, man. Well, it's good to actually, you know, uh, talk to you where you're kind of chilling a little bit, that you're not like pumping iron in the gym or you're coming out of the Raiders facility or you're rolling around from venue to venue, you know, from uh, Michelob Ultra <laughs> Arena or whatever. So that's that's kind of cool to get you in like kind of a, a, a chill day. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's good to connect. Um, you know, coming up, coming off of a big weekend, right, TC? Coming off of a big week, big weekend uh, here in Las Vegas with a lot going on. So definitely nice uh, to, to connect and, and to touch base. You got it. All right, let's start with uh, your column this morning. You've had a couple of great columns. I'm going to touch on a couple of them here today, Sam. But uh, the A's in Las Vegas, um, I, 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 I've been ranting about this situation uh 
earlier today in a Terrible Tuesday segment, of course, in the past as well, too. And you've kind of been ranting about it uh, in, in writing form. So I don't know if your editor over there had to say, hey, Sam, we, we, we got to cut your, uh, you know, we, we only need 400 words, you know, because I know you could go about twelve or 1,300 words on, on, on these thoughts because I've been enjoying, you know, reading what, uh, you know, you've been writing here regarding basically that Las Vegas, our city, you know, they they don't need the A's. They don't deserve the A's. So I'm I'm real curious. Um, and for our listeners who have not got a chance to read your column, and please do at uh, thereviewjournal.com. Check out Sam's piece this morning. But uh, this is what Sam's been preaching. You know, talking about this situation about the A's moving here. Sam, uh, just kind of tell me. You know what? Uh, you know what was uh, the motivation for you writing these pieces? Yeah, TC. Well, obviously, it's a you know it's a major talking point right here, right? With with the the whole stadium situation, the relocation situation, with the Oakland Athletics um, leaving Oakland and, and possibly coming into Las Vegas, right? And it seems like there's new developments every day. Of course, now we hear where they're close, you know, to, to, to having the bill ready, and there, there's been more information coming out about the bill. But long story short, um, this is a an ownership group that has stripped the franchise of its best players, and either electing not to resign or trading away their best players and pretty much orchestrating a tank um, to, to make money, to save money. And, and, and it, it's, it goes completely against the, I don't know, the competitive nature, um, the competitive part of, of, of sports. I think there's strategic tanking, and I think this, at times that we see teams do once in a while, I think there's doing what the A's have perennially done throughout the last 20 years, which is any time they get a good player, uh, they let them walk, right? That's, that, that's, that's happened for 20 years, but none more egregious than, than under John John, uh, John Fisher's stewardship. And, and just but with the issues that they've had in, in Oakland and how the people in Oakland and how all these deals have fallen through and, and just kind of the way that this whole thing has been played out publicly, um, it, it's just hard to trust that ownership group. Um, and, and, and it doesn't – it just doesn't feel um, – I, I mean, I, I, you read the columns, DC. I don't think Vegas, Clark County, whatever, I don't think public funding should support uh, an owner who chose to not a billionaire owner, multi-billionaire owner who's you know spent who's worth again billions, plural billions of, of dollars. I just don't think that, for what reason does he need to be the beneficiary of hundreds of millions of dollars of public funding? And even the numbers that came out today, uh, you know, significantly down from the five hundred million that they previously asked for. But like with with everything, with the way he's run the franchise. Uh, the, with the MLB waiving the relocation fee, with get, you know potentially getting free land uh, from from valleys to, to 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 have this project, all the breaks that the way Major League Baseball has looked out for him, why does he need public funding too? Why why does why do the A's need public funding to make this happen? With seeing how they've treated their fans in Oakland, that no guarantees they're going to reinvest uh, in the product on the field. Of course, they're going to say they're go, you know the, the individuals connected to this uh, this attempt, right? Are going to say all the right things. Yeah, we're going to invest more money. We don't know that until they get here. The track record of this ownership group says they're not going to pay. The track record of the A's in general, the last you know twenty years or whatever. This is what they do. And again, this is the most egregious version of it. They had a contending team with great young players that are now all playing over the major leagues uh, in 2018, 2019, 2020. All those guys are gone, and, and what they've put forth is the worst team in major league history the worst team in major league history put a chance to go down as one of them certainly in the modern era when i say modern tc i mean post 1900 not not that modern because that that those are the only teams with worse winning percentages historically than what the a's are at right now uh, are ones in the 1800s that are not the fun so 
uh, just the way that they've shifted sites, the different binding agreements, how many of them they've had dating back to going back into Oakland. It, it just feels like an ownership group, a franchise uh, that I'm very wary of, um, that I don't trust. And that, quite frankly, I don't feel like the public should fund. And and it looks like that's what's happening uh, until the shovel's in the ground. Uh, you know, we'll see, right? But the the way I just don't think billionaires, especially ones that don't, I mean, when you own a sports team, it's it's you're not it's not just a straight business. There's a there's a it's really human emotional component of that, and I think you inherit that responsibility when you buy a franchise, and it's not a, it's not a requirement. For somebody to own a major, major league team, it's a hobby. There's 30 people that do that have these franchises in these leagues. It's totally a hobby, and to abuse the hobby the way I feel like uh, he has his his staff has the, the franchise has under um, his his leadership uh, is all the more reason I don't believe he should be the recipient of public funding here in Las Vegas. Yeah, it makes sense. And for those that don't know me, John Fisher. Uh, has had full ownership of the A's for only less than a year, but he has uh, owned the majority of the team, I guess, you know, for quite some time. I don't know exactly how long, Sam, maybe you do. But again, you know, since his his ownership reign for the most part, I mean, the A's uh, have been doing this for a while. I mean, again, grooming, mm-hmm. grooming great talent. And then, you know, you know, trading them away, uh, fighting with the city of Oakland to try to get a better deal. And I get that. I mean, that Coliseum is dilapidated. This is the exact same reason why the Raiders left. And he feels like, Hey, let me come to Las Vegas. Let me follow Mark Davis, which Mark Davis isn't real happy about, as we know. And, uh, he feels that, okay, hey, you know, people will, will support this. And any owner, as you know, will, will sit there and try to, you know, get funding because they overvalue their, I guess their team or their franchise thinking, Hey, they're going to be happy. But you know, Las Vegas, like you pointed out, really doesn't need it. I mean, we've got the golden Knights. We've got the Raiders. We've got the aces. Okay. We've got baseball here already, even though it's the minor league variety, it still is triple a, we've got a nice, nice ballpark that people like to go to. And again, you got your competing for not only sports dollars, but entertainment dollars. So, and I think that's one of the reasons too. It's like, well, we're only going to build a 30,000 seat, you know, stadium because, you know, we don't want to build anything bigger than that because we're not sure, you know, how many people would sign up for season tickets. And, you know, fans have got to be leery about what the product is on the field, like you pointed out as well. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. You know, again, you know, you want to come to a city, this and that, and you've got the money. Now, I don't know. He's, they say he's valued at $2.4 billion. He's the former guy that, you know, uh, operated the gap or found the gap, you know, the gap stores and that sort of thing. I, I don't know, you know, if John Fisher's qualified to, you know, run baseball operations. I don't know if he's a hands-on owner, hands-off owner, but all I know is just like, you know, Sam, that he's trying to come to Vegas because this is the hot spot, but I'm just not sure that Las Vegas locals are buying in to welcoming this franchise, this pathetic franchise, especially what we see on the field with open arms. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, and, and, and yet we were in a situation where, you know, public almost 200 million dollars in public money might be doled out anyways right like yeah it's still he's i mean this and this is of a benefit to to, to at the end of the day ultimately to him the a's and and you know his bottom line and that when, when you see the way the franchise has been run right and 
TC, he's he's been a majority owner since 2005, and he took over full ownership in in November of 2016. So just for some context, but when you see the way the team has been run, again, especially these last couple of years, we understand we know about Moneyball, right? But like Moneyball wasn't about tanking. Moneyball was about trying to win as efficiently as possible. Like there's no competitive attempt to be made about that. You know, to to be made uh, by Fisher and the Athletics. Like there's just not even trying. And when you have the, the major league commissioner who's clearly supportive of this move to Vegas and, and, and backing Fisher, like what does that say about how he values the integrity of his own product, right? I mean, we already know um, about the integrity issues that have been happening that have existed in major league baseball under his stewardship, right? Not only the biggest cheating, one of the biggest cheating scandals in professional sports happened under his stewardship for which the Astros were penalized very little and after which he referred to the most sacred trophy in the sport is a what a hunk of metal or something like that. Like that's that's Rob Manfred. And when you back the, the Fisher ownership group so and support and, and make all these promises on his behalf, they're going to spend more money. I mean, it's clearly he's okay with the way he's running the team now. Why would anything change? It's just again, I, I, from my perspective, TC, I'm distrustful of the ownership group. Um, I feel like their track record gives the public every right to be. It gives Las Vegas every right to be. Uh, and 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 and. and just again, big picture. Um, there's this is this is a distracted market that has a lot of other things going on that doesn't need to publicly fund a, a base the worst baseball team in major league history. Mm-hmm. The relocation to their billionaire owner just makes more and more money. I just don't think, in my opinion, it don't it does not make sense uh, if if he wants to pay the full one one point five. And again, it, my my opinions might be moot at this point because it looks like he's going to get the public funding. But from a practical standpoint, like if he wants to pay whatever it costs to get all that done on his own, like, fine, you know, that's not a, that's not an issue. But this isn't a, a, a team, uh, this isn't a team like the Knights that's an expansion team. Uh, this isn't a team like the Raiders with a global brand. This is a, a team that has been part of Oakland's fabric for so, 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 so long. And I just have a hard time seeing the A's really catching on uh, <laughs> If they run the way that they are, if they come to Vegas, yeah, so and that's, we'll see how it all shakes out. Right, and that's the big thing. If it's going to be continue to to run like that, where again you're continually, uh, you know, trading off players or you're not signing free agents, and you know what we're hearing is, and I think that's what Rob Manfred is banking on. Like, well, once you get the new shiny ballpark, you got some more revenue, then yeah, you're you're going to be doing it. But that's really never been the A's, you know, model. Even when you know the Coliseum was halfway decent back in the days. I mean, I went through the laundry list, you know, earlier, Sam, and you you hit on some of them yourself in recent times on the players that the A's have traded. But you got to go back. I mean, go back to their glory years. All right. Oh, yeah. they 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 yeah. traded Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco. Mark McGuire, Dennis Eckersley, you know, uh, and then off the '89, you know, uh, you know, teams, and beyond that, when they were, you know, perennial playoff teams, from Tim Hudson to Mark Mulder to Barry Zito to Eric Chavez, uh, Matt Holiday, Jason Giambi, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Tejada, all those guys, bye bye, you know. Yeah. And then in recent, yeah. and then recent times, and you mentioned some of the names too, you know, especially, you know, when you uh, look at Chris Bassett and, and Marcus Simeon, Matt Olson, you know, you go back, Matt Chapman, Chris Davis, Josh Riddick, Sean Murphy. Max Muncie. Yeah. Max Muncie was an Oakland A. I don't think anybody realizes that. He's only tearing it up, has the most homers in the National League with the Dodgers right now. Yeah, it's just been, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's rinse and repeat, right? It's rinse and repeat. Yeah. And now, you know, they, they, there was, 
the money ball kept them competitive for a really, really, really long time. And and now this is what the product you have out there isn't money ball. They're not trying to win. It feels, again, from calculated in a way to alienate fans to kind of grease the move, the eventual move to Las Vegas. And that's what it feels like we're seeing happen, play out in real time. Um, I've written multiple columns about it, TC, as you know, just voicing my opinion about it, and it hasn't changed. I, I understand, you know, the potential benefits um, to the city. I'm aware of that in the community and whatnot. And if and when they come, you know, we'll make adjustments, and that'll be that. But at, at where it stands right now, a billionaire ownership group, a billionaire owner that intentionally constructed or, or was seemingly intentionally constructed the worst team potentially in baseball history is going to get, you know, public funding to bring that operation to Las Vegas. It just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel right. Read Sam Gordon's uh, columns at the Las Vegas Review Journal. Like I said, he's written several of them regarding this topic, the A's relocating to Las Vegas. All right, Sam, let's talk about uh, the fight on Saturday night. Uh, I know that uh, you did a couple of different pieces on Devin Haney. Uh, we both covered Vasily Lomachenko for, for many, many years. And Vasily Lomachenko was, you know, arguably the pound for pound king or one of the top, you know, two or three pound for pound kings as recent as three years ago. Uh, I was really looking forward to this fight. I thought that it upheld the hype. It was fantastic. Uh, wasn't crazy about the decision. I know that, uh, the crowd, uh, you were there just like I was crowd booed vehemently, uh, you know, for this. Uh, but it was a good fight. Dave Moretti's scorecard of 161-12 obviously is the big, big topic of conversation. Like, you know, what fight was he watching? I know you can make the case for a draw. You can maybe make a case for 115-113 for Haney. You definitely can make the case 115-113 for Lomachenko. How did you see the fight, Sam? Um, yeah, TC. First and foremost, um, great fight. Great fight. Uh, it was everything, I think, like you said, everything I think people, the people paid for it who showed up um, at MGM Grand Garden, who watched on ESPN+. Plus. Everything that I think... I thought it hoped it would be and then some. I mean, you saw two world-class technicians uh, that both stylistically do it very, very differently. But but world-class technicians, and they brought the best out in one another uh, on Saturday night. I actually scored a 115-113 for, for Devin Haney. Now, I did not watch – I have not watched the fight back, uh, and I would not have – if it was 115-113, Lomachenko, obviously you could see that too. Um, I, I thought Devin won a majority – I don't know about that majority, maybe four, four of the first six, five of the seven, five of the first seven rounds. I'm not to go back and look at my actual score sheet, but, but Lomas, and then Lomachenko came on late. To me, what it came down to TC was Devin Haney's ring generalship. I thought he brought, I thought he dictated the pace and the tempo, especially early on and made Lomachenko adjust to him more than, more than he had to adjust to Lomachenko. His jab was effective. He was physical uh, when Lomachenko got inside and kept him away, and he was going to the body. And, and and I thought the body shots were were effective in Loma's pacing. He didn't quite have the same pace. The giddy up, he wasn't finishing rounds. There were spurts that he would have early on in the fight, but but he wasn't putting together rounds where I thought Haney was controlling the the pace of the action and and was again the general in the ring. That being said, obviously in the second half of the fight. Lomachenko figured out the ideal range he wanted to be, and then he found a, a home for that left hand, and it totally changed the dynamic. He figured it out, and he was dominant during the second half of the fight, uh, especially in rounds nine, uh, rounds 10 and 11. Those were, I think, the two cleanest, easily scored rounds 
uh, that you can conclude to, but they weren't 10-8 rounds, and they weren't that the way he finished the fight doesn't, I guess, you can't compensate for how he started the fight, where I thought, again, Haney was better early. So, again, a couple of the rounds, swing rounds, a couple of the mid-rounds, swing rounds, no denying that. I may have seen 115-113 for Haney, but I'm not going to say 115-113 Lomo was wrong. Uh, you touched on it, 116-112 uh, for Devin Haney was wrong, specifically with Dave Moretti scoring that 10th round uh, in, in favor of Haney. That was a clear Lomo round. That was the only round I thought that was more obvious, easily to score than that round was Loma's 11th round. So 116-112, I couldn't see that either way. Uh, but 115-113, Haney is how I scored it. I would have been fine with a draw. I would have been fine the other way. It was that good of a fight. And the discourse around it, the, 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 the tension that it's created means that it was, it was close. And it means that it was two guys at the very top of their game. And it means people care and they're invested. And that's what was great about Saturday night is that big time, sweet science, two technicians at the top of their game, uh, brought boxing together. It was great for the, it was great for the sport. It was a great night for Vegas. Um, and, and again, I see one fifty. I can see one fifteen, one thirteen, Lomachenko two TC. I can totally yeah. see that. And in, in your, I felt for you know the former pound for pound Gray, right? They showed the footage of him crying. It was emotional. He put everything into it. I totally understand that. But I also see you know why Haney was scored one fifteen, one thirteen. Mm-hmm. I was right where I was at, um, and it was a heck of a fight. And I would love to see a rematch. You know, the thing, Sam, and I think if it Lomachenko was awarded this fight. Okay. And if it was a split decision or, uh, you know, something of that nature, narrow decision for Lomachenko, I do not think that we would have the backlash that we're having now. But there are many people, including myself, who thought that Lomachenko won the fight closely. No question about it. But think about that. Do you think that we would, you know, all of this discussion that we're hearing and, you know, people are using the term robbery, which, which I hate. Teddy Atlas was on the show yep. yesterday. Teddy was just blasting not only Moretti's, uh, you know, scorecard, but just, you know, the, that, 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 that Haney got the decision and, you know, again, Calling out, you know, corruption in the sport and that sort of thing because, you know, I give Teddy, and I give Teddy Atlas the utmost respect in the world because he's lived this. This is his sport. He's passionate about it. And he's been in these, you know, behind closed door events and meetings where, you know, he's seen some things and he shared with that, you know, with that uh, yesterday and he shared it on his own podcast, which I tell people to go listen to yesterday's interview here. But, you know, the fight with Teddy Atlas, his podcast as well too. But I don't, I don't think we would have that type of, of, uh, you know, emotion in, in, in controversy if it was given, you know, to Lomo, because I feel that, you know, a lot of people felt, you know, like L- Lomachenko won the fight, but narrowly, but the bottom line is saying it was a great fight. I think we could all agree upon that, but it's just too bad that, you know, we have to get a scorecard like Moretti and, uh, you know, to, to call, to, to cause all this. Yeah. Well, well, first I want to get to your point about robbery, TC. I'm completely with you, right? Like a robbery is when it was, painstakingly obvious this guy won nine or ten rounds and lost the fight. Correct. Or this guy had two knockdowns, won six other rounds and lost the fight. Right. Like, you see that from time to time. This wasn't that. This was a really, really, really close fight either way. It, it, like, did Loma win eight or nine rounds, obviously, and cleanly? No, he didn't. And neither did Devin Haney. Neither one of them did. That's what made this so compelling um, and interesting. I, I did think for the most part, TC, and you felt it early on during the ring walks and even during the introductions, it was a, it was definitely um, a pro-Loma crowd for sure. 
And, and that, I, I think, you know, when you got the booze that comes through on the TV, um, that, I think that, you know, maybe has an influence. Not to say that Loma didn't perform well, because he certainly did. Uh, but I think that played a part, uh, definitely played a part in it. And I also think, I mean, again, the way Loma finished, he finished so strong. Like, even though um, Devin Haney won the, the, the 12th round on all three cards, like, the last part of the fight, the last third of the fight, Lomachenko landed way more punches. I mean, you can go see the punch stats. Lomachenko, that was his strongest stretch of the fight, and that's going to leave more of a lasting impression than Devin working his jab and going to the body, going downstairs in the first or second rounds. Like, that's not sexy, but Lomachenko's combinations are. They leave a strong, lasting impression, and, and then you have the crowd going nuts every time he throws anything, whether it lands or not. So, you know, all those factors, I think, um, are in play. That being said, 115-113 for Loma would not have bothered me, even though it was differently than how I scored the fight. Um, it was a great fight. It was a fantastic event. And now the question, I think, becomes, what does Devin Haney do, right? He's undisputed champion at 135 pounds. We know that um, it, it's been a struggle for him to make that weight. There are big fights to be made at 140, and he doesn't have a promotional contract. So he has all the flexibility in the world right now. Uh, I think the decision, how it went down, TC, makes him more polarizing. Like that, regard, like that, he didn't score the fight that way, but he's the beneficiary of it. And he posted a, actually had an Instagram post. I think I don't know if it was the next day or right after the fight, but the caption was "undisputed villain." So maybe he's kind of leaning into that into that role. And I think him and Gervonta Tank Davis. At 135 pounds for all the belts, if Devin Haney moves over to PBC, that's the, one of the biggest fights you can make in boxing right. right now. You talk about marketability, you talk about contrasting skill sets and styles, and you talk about timing, two guys in their prime, and what it would mean for the lightweight division. Uh, that, that he has all kinds of options. That's the one I want to see, but there's Shakur Stevenson. There's the move to 140. There's a rematch with Lomachenko, which I think would certainly be compelling and could sell even better than the first one, given how the first one concluded. So, he has a lot of options right now. He has a lot of flexibility. And, uh, you know, this is a fight, I think, that we're going to remember for a long time because of how it was scored, because of the discourse it created, and most importantly, most importantly, because of the high-level technical brilliance that we saw from both these guys who, got, who did their thing, who put together their game plan, who had their moments and did it in very, very different ways. Final thing on this, uh, Sam. You spent – a lot of time around, you know, Devin Haney and the kid has lived here for a while now and he's trained here. We understand that. And I want to know what Devin Haney is like as a person because you said something right there that, you know, again, self-professed calling himself a villain. We saw what he did at the weigh-in, which was uncalled for. Uh, the guy is 29 and 0 coming into this fight. He doesn't need to do that. And, you know, turned a lot of fans off, turned a lot of his uh, contemporaries, current boxers, retired boxers as well, too. And Devin Haney didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do that to sell this fight. This fight, you know, sold itself, right? But now he's saying, okay, well, I, I'm this villain. And then the way he kind of portrays himself, it seems a little bit different Devin Haney now than it was when he first came to Las Vegas, when he was working his way up the ladder. I want your quick opinion about Devin Haney as a person. Yeah, I, I think I think all things considered, look, I've, I've, had, I've had nothing but positive interactions with Devin. Uh, I've been doing stories on him back since 2019, and I've really seen him, I mean, mature, not necessarily, you know, obviously as a fighter, um, but really how he navigated his career, I, I do think it's been done with a lot of intention, and he's only 24 years old, so credit to him and his dad, um, his trainer and manager, Bill, who have done, they've done a brilliant job moving him, and they've been really strategic, I think, with everything along the way, and the result is 
you know, 24 years old, undisputed champion at 135 pounds, and now has the flexibility uh, to make some of the biggest fights in boxing today. So he's definitely very intentional and 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 very um has has moved his career in a, a very intelligent way. And regardless of kind of what the public perception of of him now is, the one thing is one thing that we can't deny is he's a lot more marketable and a lot more known now at this stage of his career than he was a few years ago. So. Uh, at the end of the day, he's he's an incredibly dedicated to, to the sport of boxing. That's why he's at where he's at, and and they've been savvy in how they've moved his career. And he has maximum flexibility, all four belts at uh, at 135 pounds, and the opportunity again to make some of the biggest fights um, with his with 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 his best days, you know, presumably in front of him. All right, he is Sam Gordon, covers uh, boxing for the Review Journal and uh, so many other sports here as well. His column. At, at the uh, Las Vegas Review Journal. Go uh, check that out. Uh, love talking with Sam about all sports here in Las Vegas. Real quick, Sam, who you got tonight? Miami, they close it out. Do we have? Do we continue with the sweep theory here? Yeah, I think Miami gets it done, TC. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if Boston came out with one last gasp. Uh, this might be the last stand for this particular team if they lose tonight. And even if they lose in the series in general, you'd expect significant changes, both, I think, in roster construction uh, and on the sidelines. That wouldn't, that wouldn't shock me one bit, seeing just how this group has struggled in big spots under Joe Missoula, who, I, by the way, I think was put in a really impossible situation, right? It's not his fault uh, that everything happened above him and that he you know, is, is in this situation at 34, whatever years old, uh, having to handle a championship team. It was almost, It was an impossible situation. Uh, that said, you see Eric Spolster's greatness on display. You see Jimmy Butler's greatness on display. And I think those two things are going to coincide uh, again and set up a really, really compelling NBA final. So it's been a great playoffs. Um, I mean, the conference finals, again, the, the outcome uh, 4-0 on the West Conference side, you would have loved to see a six or seven game series. But those are all great games, and we've had a lot of great games in this postseason. Uh, hopefully we get a few more. You got it. All right, Sam, appreciate the time as always, man. Great stuff. All right, thanks, DC. Talk soon. Take care. You got it. There he is, uh, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. All right, we come back. We'll talk the betting aspect of everything with uh, Chuck Esposito. Take a look at tonight's game. Finally, the Miami Heat, a favorite in this series. They were a double digit favorite of the first two games in Boston. They were an underdog. Uh, uh, yeah, Boston was a double digit favorite in the first two games. Miami, the double digit underdog. Miami came home up two games to, to none. And we're an underdog again against the Boston Celtics in game three. They blew them out. And tonight, what happens? Oh, now they're finally a favorite. So interesting take there. We'll talk to Chuck Esposito, see where the money's going on that. And a whole lot more continuing on here on this terrible Tuesday. Hey, this is Robert De Niro, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. It's good. Continuing on here. Oh, yes, NBA playoffs tonight. Game number four. Another game number four. Will we continue the sweep fashion? We got that to talk about. And also, we've got a hockey game tonight in Dallas. The Vegas Golden Knights trying to go up 3-0 against the Dallas Stars. We'll talk about all of that with our good friend over at Red Rock, Chuck Esposito. What is going on, my friend? I'm doing well, T. It's uh, you know, we got NBA, NHL, baseball. Just finished Preakness weekend. Uh, just a lot going on. Slap fighting this Wednesday. 
So a lot on the board, a lot going on, and it just seems like these teams in the NBA and NHL, once you win game one, the other side doesn't win a game, which is kind of, uh, you know, uh, unparalleled from what I can remember, uh, the way the dominance has been with one team in those two sports so far. Wait, wait, let's start with the slap fighting, Chuck. Now, are, what, who's in the ring? Or is there a ring? No, there. I guess there's technically. Is it Jason versus Jason? Who is it? Is McCormick yeah. and, and Symbol, are they, are they slapping each other? No, nah, you got to check it out, buddy. It's, it's uh, really pretty cool, man. So there's uh, all the different slap fights Wednesday are on the board, and uh-huh. it's uh, kind of a cool thing. So, yeah, you know, check it out. It's called Power Slap. Yeah. And um, there's, uh, you know, there's some KO props up. There's a number of... Uh, you know, different uh, power slap events on the card as well. Uh, we've got them all up, and that's uh, kind of a cool thing. No, I'm, I'm well aware of it. Obviously, I'm, I'm having some fun with you with this, but do you get people that uh, that will bet on this, you know, Chuck? I, I know you got plenty of props up and stuff like that, but what has been the reception like since, you know, there, slap fighting's taken over here in the last been, six or eight months? Yeah, the reception's been uh, really positive, and I think, T, you know, I know we've talked about it, but there's such a correlation in anything we book uh, being able to watch the event. So the fact that you can watch these events, um, people, it, it appeals to people, I think, regardless of what we have. And I think that's kind of the, the growth and the expansion that you've seen as we've, as we've expanded our overall wagering menu on everything. It's being able to watch these events. And, you know, and that's why I think in play and, you know, having the mobile device, you know, having that, that sports book in your hand has really kind of, amplified what you see on a daily basis as far as kind of handle and interest. Um, it's that correlation of, again, watching and being able to wager on that event. Mm. Slap fighting. It is big. And when, uh, power slap. Power slap, man. Power slap. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to mention the J and J that, you know, you, uh, you wanted to know if they were on the card or not. Yes. But, uh, yes. And, 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 uh, I, you know, I don't know uh, who would you make, uh, who would you make the favorite? I'm not. I'm not going there, buddy. <laughs> Chuck. Chuck is right there in the middle. He just want to. Yeah, you want to. You want to throw there. me out there? That, that's fine. You can. You can let him know. You can let him know that was promo on that bad boy. Exactly. Oh man. Speaking of fighting, all right. So the Lomachenko and and Haney fight. Did you get some good two way action on that, Chuck? Last weekend. We really did. I mean, overall handle was phenomenal. Um, you saw a big early push push on Haney, and a lot of the late action, including some sharp action, came in on Lomachenko. Um, the key for us really was uh, getting it to go the distance. There was a lot of action on, you know, the fighters in the late rounds um, or a knockout by either fighter. So it uh, kind of was paramount for us uh, to get the fight to go the distance. Yeah, we had so many of those people, Chuck, that said, well, hey, I see all this value because if you wanted the under – here, I mean, you could have been getting like, you know, plus what, 350 or four. I mean, it was something ridiculous like that. And people see that plus and they go, Oh my goodness. And I'm going like, you know, Hey, both these guys are master tacticians. The only way that that thing is not going to go the distance is if something, you know, weird or strange happens like a DQ or something like that. And obviously it went the distance, but I, I didn't this, uh, this open like what at 11, 11 and a half. And then it went down to 10 and a half, right? I think we, we still were at 11 and a half, but you're, you're right. However, in, in the sport of boxing, of course, it just takes kind of that one punch. Anything can happen. And I think that's why, especially in some of the bigger fights, when you see some of the, the heavyweight fights, uh, the under becomes so popular because it's just that, that one punch that can change the outcome of the event. Mm-hmm. 
We had the Preakness on Saturday as well, too, Chuck. And again, we're not going to have a Triple Crown winner. So it kind of means that the, the Belmont will kind of be meaningless once again, which is, which is too bad. And it's been, you know, since uh, 2018 that we haven't had a Triple Crown winner and justify. Uh, talk about the handle that you had on the Preakness because it did kind of seem that this race, you know, even though we knew that it was coming, but you know, with, with Mage really being the only one coming back of the Derby, you know, from the Derby and kind of a weak field here, I was curious how it was viewed on your end and, and with the patrons in the sports book. It was still a really good handle um, on the race tee. Uh, you're right, Mage was the only horse. Unfortunately, you know, you had a scratch earlier that day, too, so you had seven horses. Mage was the only horse that, you know, participated from the Kentucky Derby. You wish there would have been more, um, you know, especially some of the horses that finished near the top. Um, and then now, w- without having a horse that's that special horse, you know, that has an opportunity to win on the Belmont, it does take a little bit away from it. Hopefully, you'll have the two winners, you know, the Belmont and the, or the Preakness and the Derby at least race, so it's kind of the rubber match against each other. But um, you, you have horses that are specially kind of, you know, saved for the Belmont because of the length of the Belmont to be that spoiler horse. So just not sure what we're going to see, you know, in uh, a little under three weeks now as far as that goes. But you always hope for that horse to win the two, the first two legs and to set up kind of that, that special day on Belmont Day, which unfortunately we won't, we won't have once again. But there's still a lot of good stakes races on the card of that day. So I'm, still, I'm sure we'll still have, uh, you know, a pretty good handle across the board. You know, a popular narrative just through the the casual sports fan or maybe the non-horse racing fan, Chuck, is that, oh, horse racing is is dead and it's really, uh, you know, uh, hasn't, you know, drawn the numbers. Even, I guess, at, the, at Pimlico last weekend, they were down. I mean, they had 65,000, which is still a nice crowd, but we've seen upwards of, you know, close to 100,000 attend these live events. But then from a... a race book betting perspective here you've been in this business a long time we remember when horse racing was one of the kings of uh, of sports as boxing was you know way back in the day how is horse racing approached i know you still have those those regulars that they come in there and they're they're betting the morning races afternoon and evening and this and that but in general what have you noticed as a sports book director over the years especially recently here where horse racing is from a betting perspective you still have a, a, a huge following for it, T. I think part of it is kind of what we talked about. Um, there's the length of time, you know, between each race. Uh, you don't get to see sometimes the horses that you want to see uh, go against each other. Um, there's the injuries that a lot of horses have suffered over the last, you know, 10 years, which, you know, seems to draw, you know, some negative attention, you know, to the sport as well. I still love it. I mean, when you know you talk about the Derby or uh, the Preakness or Belmont or, or Breeders' Cup Day, it is the most exciting two minutes. I mean, it captivates uh, the crowd in the room and the action and the hooting and hollering. It's pretty pretty fun to, to be part of. But, uh, um, you know, unfortunately, you've really seen the growth, the rapid growth of sports, the increased wagering menu across the board and things that happen so much quicker that you have seen somewhat of a decline, unfortunately, um, from the horse betters. Chuck Esposito joins us over at Red Rock. Chuck, let's talk NBA playoffs. We saw the sweep completed by the Denver Nuggets last night. And uh Lakers uh, were game, but just not enough. Way too much Murray, way too much Jokic uh, uh, for Denver. And uh, we know that uh, you got to be kind of happy right now because I know that the, you, have a, you have Lakers money come in every night, every series, and then, you know, in future bets. And I know there was some liability there because the Lakers were a long shot 
on this board. And I think, you know, probably got some people pretty excited after they beat the Warriors and now, you know, they're out. So how'd that make you feel? And then talk a little bit about that series. Well, they were definitely in, you know, all games, T. The series easily could be 2-2. Um, last night, we were actually Laker fans um, from the game itself. Needed the Lakers to kind of cover um, the, the three points. But overall, from a series perspective, and I know we touched on it last week, we, we definitely were, were Nuggets fans from the business side of it. There was some liability on the Lakers in November when they were um, upwards of 100, 150 to 1 industry-wide. Uh, LeBron was out for those four weeks, not knowing if he'd come back or not, knowing how loaded the West was. But, you know, in our close proximity to Southern California and no NBA team here, that is the closest thing where you get a lot of public backing. And uh, there was a lot. So from the business side of it, we were clearly uh, rooting for the Nuggets overall in the series, although last night we were Laker fans. We look at uh, tonight's game between Boston and Miami. Miami, uh, to a surprise of many, going for the sweep as the eight seed, and uh, Boston has unraveled, and we've talked about it before, Chuck. I mean, this team has really not been good uh, at home in the playoffs, and they've been better on the road, but another blowout victory for Miami uh, you know, the other day, and that game was in Miami, 128 to 102. And now we finally have Miami as a favorite where Boston has been a heavy favorite with the two, two games at home, but they were even a favorite, uh, on the road in game three. So talk to us about setting that line tonight. Yeah, it's a difficult line to set. Um, I, I think, you know, you look at the end of that game and you could, you could tell that Boston was a beaten team. Um, they just their their demeanor, their posture, their facial expressions. Um, they had no answer for what Miami had that night. Um, now, if they can somehow win this game, they go back home and able to win a game. They're one road win away from forcing a game seven. And you know it hasn't been good if you're a Boston sports fan with what happened to the Bruins and now what the Celtics are going through. Um, but this Heat team with four undrafted free agents and the way that Jimmy Butler has played, you can tell that they like playing with each other. They understand their strengths. And they're a really fun team to watch. Um, you know, it'd be uncharacteristic maybe to see, you know, uh, an eight team, especially in the NBA, make it all the way a team that, you know, trailed the Bulls in that one of those two play-in games late and had to, you know, battle back to win that game to play in the NBA Finals. Uh, but they are a really good team and fun to watch. They are. Miami, a one-and-a-half-point favorite uh, tonight, Chuck. Are you getting a lot of Miami money, or there's still some Boston believers out there? There's still some Boston believers. Early in the day, we did see, you know, some of our larger bets were, were all one-sided in favor of Miami, have seen a few bets come back um, in favor of Boston. But I'm just not sure what you see with, with Boston tonight. I'm not sure that the way they were beaten in Game 3, if it is just they're, they're done, that they just, you know, they've got nothing left, they have no answer, um, which is a little surprising. But they, if you, again, looking at their facial expressions, their overall posture, demeanor, this was a beaten team that, that day. And, you know, can they come back from that or not? Um, you know, Miami hasn't lost a, a game at home in the playoffs. They're awfully good. Um, again, Jimmy Butler's had an unbelievable series. And just curious to see if, if Boston has anything left in the tank uh, to come out and force a game five. Chuck, do you have uh, NBA Finals uh, series prices up knowing that you have one team in right now? Do you have, you know, Denver versus Boston or Miami? Are they both up? Uh, in the NBA right now, T, um, 
you could get a uh, – there's no series price up on these right now. Uh, it was just more of the exact series result what we had up. But I think at this point, with it being 3-1 or 3-0, uh, you wait to see if um, if uh, if Milwaukee can, or if Boston can make this a series or not. Mm-hmm. You know, Miami's played so well, and uh, what I really like about this Miami team, the same thing I liked about Denver's team, Chuck, is that they really do uh, have that focus look and that focus mentality, and they're not celebrating. Uh, If you watch Miami after the Game 3 victory, they weren't jumping up and down, hooting and hollering. They just said, hey, you know, we've got you know one more to give. And I remember, you know, after game number one, then uh, Jimmy Butler said, hey, um, you know, we, we want to win four in the fewest amount of games that we possibly can here. And I love that de- demeanor. I love that professionalism. And I think a lot of that, you know, comes from Eric Spolstra, you know, the, the best coach that, uh, you know, is, is in the playoffs, you know, right now. And I know Miami is, you know, was a long shot coming in here. But, man, they are a fun team to watch, and I really love them and Denver, their professionalism. Well, I think it's interesting now because you know with Denver's win that Denver has nine days off. Yeah. So, you know, for Miami to win tonight, um, it would at least give them eight days off, almost the same amount of time. Now, if this series ends up going a little bit further and uh, you get a Boston win and Boston wins at home, you're going to look at one team that is really, really well-rested against a team that is not the other thing, you know, which is really interesting is that we had up that, that kind of Beamtown championship parlay, T. You know, the, the Bruins and Celtics to both win the championships in their respective sports, one of them to win it in either sport or zero. Uh, well, we could have actually put it up maybe for, for, uh, Florida as well with, you know, the Panthers, um, and, and uh, the Heat, both number eight seeds who are still alive were the Beamtown one, both were number one seeds. So kind of an interesting perspective. The odds would have been much greater, and I probably really would be rooting against the Florida teams now had we put it up. Um, but, you know, hats off to both the Panthers and the Heat, who have played phenomenally so far in the postseason. We're going to get to that here, but I want to close with this, Chuck. <laughs> you know, going back to the game tonight with Miami and Boston, you know, set going back to setting that line where it, it, it's Miami one and a half, and you said it's kind of kind of tough. And I'm just wondering, you know, why the line wouldn't be Miami maybe you know four or five because of what our eyes have seen in this series where we've really seen, you know, Miami dominate these games. I, I go back to the last game, 128, 102. All right. You go back to game two. They win by six on the road at, at Boston. They win by seven on the road at Boston, but they have all this confidence. And you can, like you said, Boston just seems like a beaten down team, like the Lakers. I think the Lakers were just a tired team, you know, cause they've been in the playoff mode for the better part of close to three months, you know, so. I could see where maybe you would contemplate about making Miami a bigger favorite. Did you not do that, Chuck, just because, you know, Boston has been the favorite in every one of these games and you're still saying, well, you know, Boston still has that talent? Or how much do you factor that in versus to where they're at mentally right now down 3 0? We do factor it in, T, but. You know, we're still looking at, we're not kind of predicting who's going to win the game. We're looking to put a number up that we think is the, the best two-way number mm-hmm. and letting the public decide if that number's too high or too low, and we'll move it accordingly. We did open Miami up one and a half. Um, it was quickly bet up to two, but then taken back um, to where it is right now. 
So I think part of it, again, is that you're talking about a number eight seed, although they've played phenomenal, and, you know, they were unbelievable in game three, the way they dominated that game. They're playing against a team that was the number one seed in the East. We know how good Boston can be, and I think the number where it is right now is telling you that, hey, Boston is live in this game, and if they happen to win this game, do they are they able to make it a series by winning the next game at home? Um, but early action was clearly on the heat to drive this number up, but at that, at that number, uh, the betting public and our guests told us, hey, that's just too many points. We, we like Boston um, getting those points. So, um, again, we're looking to put the best two-way number on the board that we, can, that we think will draw that action. And you're drawing that very well. All right, NHL playoffs. The, the Golden Knights lead the series against Dallas two games to none, both overtime victories. And we saw that in the East, too. The first two games were overtime victories. The difference was, and you mentioned Florida, they won on the road. Then they go home last night. They win uh, one nothing over Carolina, so they're up 3-0. So we're getting just a lot of these, you know, uh, one-sided series. But as we know, Chuck, now this series is shifting back to Dallas. Dallas is the favorite. You look at this game tonight. We got Dallas right around what 145, 150 or so. I'll let you update our listeners on that. But uh, these games have just been phenomenal to watch. Uh, they're not the up and down, you know, high skating, high speed variety that we saw with Edmonton or even Winnipeg for that matter. This is a grinded out series. And we saw that with these two teams during the course of the regular season. They met three times, even though Dallas won all three times, but two of the three went to the shootout variety back in the regular season. And now we have two overtime victories. What are we expecting tonight? And then from a betting side, what are you seeing there? You know, we're probably expecting a, a tight game between these two teams. Um, I was going to say the exact same thing, that, that uh, Dallas won all three games during the regular season, 2-1, 3-2, 4-0 late, two of the three in a shootout. These teams played in 2020 in the Western Conference Final in the bubble. Dallas won that series 4-1, to including a couple of low-scoring overtime games as well. But uh, their back's against the wall. I think it's a contrast in, in styles. I think you look at the Knights, they have one guy, and that was Jack Eichel, who had over 60 points this year. Um, and you look at Dallas, they had five guys with over 60 points. The Knights really are a complete team effort. Um, you know, their, their fourth line is as good as anybody's fourth line in the league, if not better. It doesn't matter who's between the pipes. It's next guy up. Thompson played great early on. Then you had Roussois. And now you look at the job that Hill's doing. I think it's their system that Cassidy plays. They don't have their defensive guys pinch up. They stay back. These guys like playing for each other. They pick each other up. It's the next man up approach. Um, and, you know, you're going up against your old coach, and Peter DeBoer, who clearly knows the night's strengths, weaknesses, tendencies. And I expect the rest of the series to be close just like the two games we're here in Vegas. Yeah, I agree. Looking forward to it tonight. All right. And uh, it is the Vegas Golden Knights uh, taking on the Dallas Stars. It is game three, the first game in Dallas. And you know that place will be rocking no different than T-Mobile Arena was. Five o'clock face-off tonight. And uh, the Dallas Stars, a uh, fifty favorite. And uh, five and a half is the total. That has been the number that we have seen, Chuck, total-wise in the first couple games. And uh, uh, talk about getting two-sided action. I, I would imagine Imagine you've been getting two-sided action in the first two games. What are you seeing from a, a total perspective tonight? Actually, T, they, they've actually backed the over. You know, the first game you did have go over. The second game, um, you know, a lot lower scoring. But I think it's just what we've seen so far this year in the NHL playoffs, that you've seen a lot more kind of open style and more scoring. Granted, you know, we saw a 1-0 game with Carolina and Florida yesterday. 
and that series has been a little bit tighter. We saw the last game in this series be an under game as well. But I think it's just, you know, when a team's got their back up against the wall, they're down 2-0, they're at home, um, I think you're going to see a lot more overaction tonight as it gets closer to puck drop um, than anything else. All right, get the STN mobile app. So easy to use. Bet where you watch the games and uh, go check it all out uh, tonight, whether it's uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and Dallas Stars and the NHL side, Western Conference Final, or the Eastern Conference Final in a clinching situation for the Miami Heat against the Boston Celtics tonight. Chuck, say hello to the gang for me. I appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Sounds great, T. Thanks for having me on. You got it, buddy. There he is, Chuck Esposito, one of the best, no question about it. Uh, great partner of the show. Uh, very happy always to have him on. And uh, one of the great guys uh, there at Station Casinos. All right. Uh, I want to thank um, Nick Nice for being in here tonight, brother. Always great seeing you as well. Uh, my right-hand man for many, many years, so he's stepping in for a numchuck today. Appreciate that. And if you miss any part of the show, go up to the website at tcmartinshow.com. You see, uh, hear our terrible Tuesday takes and uh, can hear an interview back with Sam Gordon and Chuck Esposito. Tomorrow, uh, we're going to have the big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright. We were going to have him on today, but like I said, we had some difficulties uh, earlier on in the show. So a little abbreviated show today. I appreciate uh, Mark Hayes, Brian Shapiro hanging until uh, Nick and I got here due to traffic concerns. Thank you, Vegas. Uh, Thank you, Vegas. <laughs> Hopefully uh, the 215 is cleared up when we're going home uh, tonight. It didn't matter. We could have left at our houses an hour, hour and a half early. We still wouldn't have been here by 2 o'clock today. But anyway, that's the way it goes. All right. We appreciate everyone. You miss any part of the shows. Like I said, go to the website, check it all out. And uh, here, our interview from uh, Teddy Atlas from yesterday. Uh, that's some riveting stuff. And uh, Showtime Sean Porter up on the homepage at tcmartinshow.com. All right. Have yourself a good one. We reconvene tomorrow at 2.